Hello and welcome to episode 382 of the Thinking Poker Podcast from Owings Mills, Maryland. I am Andrew Brokus. I will be joined shortly by Carlos Welch in Las Vegas, Nevada, and also by our guest Kaina England, who I believe is also in Las Vegas, Nevada, or was at the moment that we spoke with her. Uh, I'll tell you a bit about Kaina in a moment. Let me first apologize for the delay in getting this out. I know it's been a while since our last episode. Uh, there were a few things contributing to that, the most immediate of which is that I literally just finished like an hour ago um, playing the Venom on America's Card Room, which is a tournament they have a couple times a year, a 20, well, 26.50 buy-in with the with the rake, uh, multi-day tournament. I made day three um, with a very short stack, but finished uh, 80th in that. But basically, that that uh, took up a couple of days that I didn't necessarily have budgeted for that because you know you never expect to do that well in a tournament. Um, so yeah, that that set back getting this out a little bit, but otherwise was a fun experience. Um, have some plans for what I might do with that uh, hand history, but you'll hear more about that hopefully in the future. That is also why you are not hearing the usual music here. Uh, I figured rather than having any further delays of uh, you know, having our, our usual editing process, I just wanted to get this out as quickly as possible. So apology for the lack of uh, bells and whistles, but hope you otherwise enjoy the episode. For now, let me tell you about our guest, Kaina England. Uh, Kaina is fairly new, I think it's fair to say, to the world of, I mean, she's been playing poker for a while, but in terms of, like, being essentially a professional, and we talk a little bit about, you know, how, how well that term applies to her, uh, she's, she's pretty new to it and uh, is off to an amazing start. She was the Player of the Year for the Mid-Stakes Poker Tour in 2021. And uh, again, we'll, we'll talk some about that with her. Um, in addition to that, she is an instructor with Poker Power, which is an organization that uh, kind of teaches and, and encourages women to play poker. So we'll talk some about those efforts as well. Just an all around uh, fun episode, kind of is a lot of fun to talk to. And uh, we also got her to talk some strategy with us. We do have a tournament hand uh, that we will be discussing with her. So there's not going to be a strategy segment right here during this introduction. Uh, I'm just going to tell you that if you like our strategy segments and you would like to hear Carlos and me talking strategy every day of the week, you can support this podcast and get access to those daily strategy segments on our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash thinkingpokerdaily. And you can also find a lot of strategy products from Carlos and me and uh, even Nate, if you're going back a little bit. Uh, and that is all available at www.nitcast.net. N-I-T-C-A-S-T dot net is the Thinking Poker store where you can buy some um, books, videos, podcasts, uh, all strategy themed from us. Please enjoy our interview with Kind England. It's a really funny when people like call me a professional poker player because I mean, I guess that's what I do for right now, but I never really thought of like poker as like, you know, a profession, but I guess that's kind of cool, like kind of cool. <laughs> <laughs> hey, can can we use that and just just roll from here? Yeah. Awesome. So, I mean, what what was the plan if not professional poker player? You know, I actually always liked insurance when I was initially studying in college. I, um, I, well, I, I tried to get into the school of engineering, but I was declined, but then I kind of started just taking a lot of math classes and I really liked, um, probability theory and statistics and combinatorics and those kind of things. So I had looked into becoming an actuary and I didn't do the, the, the program in college. I didn't really realize, you know, I was one of those lost college students and that's actually where I learned how to play poker too. So I got a little sidetracked by that in college, but you know, I didn't really know what I wanted to do in college. And so I just took a lot of math classes. And so afterwards I got a job at Bed Bath & Beyond. I was a customer service manager because also it was like 2008 and it was kind of a bad time. In yeah, not, not the greatest time to be entering the job market. Yeah. So I studied, I worked at Bed Bath & Beyond as a manager and I studied for the actuary exams. I studied for exam one and exam two and boy, were they really hard. So <laughs> I took, I took the first one once and I didn't pass. I kind of had a panic attack in the middle. They are really hard tests. So you have to take like 30 questions and you have to do like really lengthy probability calculations by hand um, using like probability systems or whatever, um, like different uh, theorems, whatever you have to calculate it by hand. 
And so I didn't even make it halfway through the test <laughs> during the time. So I was like, and I, I had a map, I had met with a few actuaries too, just to see. And I feel like my personality wise, I probably was not meant for that. You know, I think I was not meant to just crunch numbers. I'm like more of a relationship person. So I did actually like, I still really liked insurance. So I found myself a job at Allstate. I just worked more in the um, education, onboarding, kind of personal relationship field kind of thing. And you were just sort of playing poker uh, on the side during that time? During that time, no. Actually, when I when I left college, I um, didn't play anymore. Yeah, I learned in college and then I, I, I went to college at the University of Colorado and we played a lot there. It was during the boom and I played online quite a bit. But when I came back um, to Chicago you know, to figure life out, there just wasn't any poker really to be had there. So I just kind of stopped for a while until um, a buddy of mine from Allstate kind of introduced me to it when we were in a conference in Vegas. He's like, hey, let's go play this nightly. And I played it and I loved it. And then he's like, oh, well, there's these tournaments at the horseshoe you should go to. So I kind of slowly got back into it starting in about, I think, 2017, 2018, maybe probably 2017, playing a lot of the nightlies and stuff like that. It wasn't that slow. It seems like you had sort of a meteoric uh, rise. <laughs> well, like I started, you know, getting my reps in, you know, going to the local gym of the Horseshoe Indiana Hammond Casino. And, you know, I just really liked the nightlies. I would make, I would drive like two hours sometimes to just go play the 7 p.m. $100 tournament because I just loved it. And the, the Sunday ones that were 240, oh man, those were like, so, you know, it was just dicey. I would, I would get nervous and like $240 so much, you know, and I, I didn't do very well at first. Then I sort of like had a, a thing. I worked for Allstate and they were relocating people out of Chicago. And so they offered me a package to move to Nebraska because I was traveling a lot anyway to and from Nebraska. And I was like, no, thank you. You know, so I took the package and kind of took a year off and tried at poker that year didn't go so well, but I, I did learn a lot, you know, like I started studying, I started watching videos. Um, I started like, you know, taking notes on what I was doing, what wasn't working, asking people and stuff. And then, you know, I got another job and where I could work more from home. And during the pandemic is really when I started just trying a little harder. I think, you know, like when you're home all the time, you have time to do stuff. Um, even when I was working, I could like watch a YouTube video while I was like doing spreadsheets or whatever, you know? So um, there was just a lot more time to put into it, I felt like, and it seemed to be working. And I think just playing more online too, like I had to play online. So I had to learn a little bit more about like the theory and like the proper moves and everything and, you know, what to expect. So I got a little bit better, I think, you know, just by trying to play online. So yeah. And, and, you know, I, we always want to get better. I, I always said at my job, I, I, I taught people, you know, to, or I was in leadership development a little bit where, you know, you always want to continuously get better. You know, you don't want to just stop learning. You want to, there's always something more you can do. What did that first attempt look like? The, you said that it was kind of the, the year after you left Allstate when that didn't go so well. Like, did you, did you have, I mean, did you set aside like a bankroll? Did you decide certain games that you were going to play? You know, how, what, what did that look like? Well, I did. I, I decided I was going to take a trip to Vegas during the series and I was going to play a few events during the series, but I needed to practice and, you know, get better and get ready for that. So I would go to like the horseshoe a lot and play the dailies. I play all the tournaments. We have charity games in Chicago too, which I started playing a little bit more in the middle of the day. You know, I would go just during the day and play poker now because I didn't have anything to do. And then I would go sometimes to Elgin and play cash on the boat. And just that yeah, never really worked out very well. But, um, so, but sometimes it did. And, you know, like I still was just in the mindset of like, oh, okay, um, you know, we're having fun. Um, we're trying this out. You know, I did, I did set aside a certain pool of money for it all, you know, and then saved some for the series to like build up to that. And, you know, it, it, it was, it was worth it, I think, because uh, I still learned a lot from it. Um, I still like made myself get better. You know, I think it's a trial and error and boy, like, did I have, did I learn to like work on my mental game during that point a lot? Because you're playing every day, you're not going to win, you know, every day you're going to lose a lot. And that started to take a toll on me. And I wasn't used to that. Right. Like I'm competitive with myself in a sense, like I want to do the best. I'm, you know, we, we all say no one's meaner to me than me. Right. So I wanted to just be better and do better. And so I get really disappointed and down on myself, but, you know, working through that, like working on my mental game, I think was the most important part of that stage of learning. So um, I'm really glad I did it. And I'm really glad it went how it went. What year was this? 
Um, let's see. That would have been like 2018, 2019, because I went to the series in 19 for the first time. So yeah, I think I like I was let go in in about August of 18. Took about a year, and then I you know went to the series. So that was like what two years from uh, you know let go of your previous job to MSPT Player of the Year. <laughs> yeah, I guess something like that. <laughs> yeah, you just, you just kind of slowly eased your way into it. <laughs> well, I did follow, you know, like the MSPT thing. I had a really big score. I had two kind of good ones in the beginning of the year. I think I went by myself to Larchwood, um, which is um, one of their stops that not a lot of people go to in the Midwest. And I, I think I got like 25th. And then I went to Riverside, which I just was hyping up to everybody in Chicago because I was like, this is a new stop. Um, we should all go, you know, everybody's going to be there from the Midwest. I think I told every single person and every single person I told, I said, I'm going to win this one. You know, you know, I was like, you should come, but I'm going to win it. I'm ready. I'm going to win it. And so then I got third. And so then we noticed, oh, my name is kind of high up on this points list. We should try for these because there are a lot of them still around. So I started traveling a little, you know, I had a like, good score. I'm not working. Let's travel. Like, or, Well, I was working at that time, actually, but I had a job that I could do remote. So I'm like, let's travel and play some more. So I kind of followed them a little bit around more in, in 2021. So that's kind of how that happened. And then I sort I actually did give up after the Venetian one. I was just like, ah, oh, it's too much. I just, you know, whatever. I, I give up. I can see it. I'm too far behind. And then, you know, my friend Sarah was like, well, we're, I'm going up to Minnesota. You know, you should, you should play that one. Like, it'll be fun. You know, it was right before I was trying to move too. And I'm like, ah, so I just like took the weekend and went up spontaneously and ended up winning that one. So that was a good decision for sure. Thanks, Sarah. I love her. <laughs> I was wondering too, when you mentioned, I don't want to keep focusing on your like year of failure, but the, um, <laughs> the, if, if part of what you got from that also wasn't the um, you know, meeting people and just kind of getting a sense of of what this looks like, you know, what um, that this is a realistic thing that, that people do, because I think it's, I mean, I don't know what kind of exposure you had to like poker people prior to that, but I think it like sounds kind of crazy to like tell your friends and family if they don't know anything about poker and you're like oh yeah i'm just putting my job to be a professional poker player like i'm gonna go be a pro <laughs> poker player now like i think it, until you actually like see the on the ground reality of it and like know other people who are who are doing it i, I imagine that makes it seem a lot more like doable and, and realistic for you you make a good point like my my failure here was you know not completely like a failure in the sense that yeah i did meet a lot of people i think i know you know quite a few people now i'm friendly you know like i i like relationship building i've always been kind of a people person and seeing like what other people do and how they get through it you know getting tips from people especially on the mental game front especially on the like studying part like tips on what to do so yeah that was extremely helpful but Again, it, like you said, it's even hard for me to envision myself as like a professional poker player. I'm just like, oh, well, you know, I'm just trying my best out here. Like, it's just, <laughs> it, it is difficult for, I think people, you know, my mom for the longest time too, she called it going gambling. And I'm like, all right, she's like, going gambling again today. I'm like, no, I'm going to go play poker. <laughs> so yeah, they just, and she didn't really understand it until I got the, the Venetian score. Like when I was in the Venetian one, then like all my family and friends, um, we're following along with the updates, like everybody I know on social media, you know, so like it wasn't until that one where I think it became real with like some of my family and friends. Yeah, my um, my grandma, I was like several years into my professional poker career and uh, my grandmother had a friend, she was in Florida and she told me she had a friend who like went to the dog track and, and played there and she's like, but he plays higher stakes than you do. And I was like, oh, that's <laughs> unlikely, but okay. <laughs> it turned out he was playing a two-point limit game. I don't know what she thought I was doing. But <laughs> oh, big money. <laughs> <laughs> No, I distracted myself because, oh yeah, it, it, it did kind of jump out at me because like I, I had not heard of you prior to my, I mean, I guess a couple of months ago, someone, uh, a listener to our show suggested you as, as a guest and I looked you up and I was like, wait, how do I not know who this person is? Like, it seemed like you like knew everybody in, in the poker world. Uh, and I was like, how, how did I like miss this person? It makes a little more sense if, if it, it was sort of you like uh, exploded onto the scene as it were. I think it was like an explosion, but again, yeah, like, I mean, with my, you know, how well I did in 2021, like it's, uh, it, it's unlikely people are going to do that well, right? So you get noticed a little bit more, but I have been around, you know, for a couple of years, just making friends slowly and, you know, being nice to people and just figuring things out on my own, you know, it, it, it's, it is difficult. Like, I feel like in the poker world too, like, you know, I, I made some new friends too. It was like a new group of people to like explore and hang out with, you know, I come, I came from grad school then to corporate world and now i'm in like you know dgen land and that's just great you know like it's just a whole new group of people to figure out and i love that i love um you know 
I'm curious as to what my next move will be here, but you know, um, it, it, it was an experience and, uh, yeah, I think that's kind of why I just kind of flew under the radar. I don't know. <laughs> that did remind me of what I wanted to ask you before, which is you, you mentioned how like getting, getting some tips or, or pointers or whatever for people. I was curious if there was anything that, that stood out as being particularly influential or helpful for you. Well, a friend of mine, um, from the horseshoe suggested, cause you know, I would, I was pretty good at like, you know, reading people and, um, you, you know, playing my hand, but I, I didn't know what you don't know what you don't know. Right. And so he suggested that I try some like learn, learn WPT classes. Mm-hmm. And so I did do that for like a whole year. I did. I watched all their videos. I really liked it. I read some of the comments. I didn't do any of the live seminars or anything, but I, that's how I learned best. You know, I come from a field of L and D I did corporate L and D and training a lot. And, you know, you got to learn, know how you learn. And I learned by watching other people, watching things, you know, watching videos and stuff. So I, I did that for quite some time and they were extremely helpful. Just little things that I didn't know, you know, that like basic poker players should know. Um, so that was really helpful during my off year, but then learning um, <clears throat> during the pandemic to play online a little bit more and just like, you know, different spots and, and looking at some of the technology available, you know, talking through hands with, I had a group of friends that we would do zoom calls with like almost every night. Cause like, what else are we doing? Right. And we had one, we had one night that was called mixed game Monday, where we would play some of the mixed games on poker stars and stuff, you know, just us, like we'd have a fun table and, you know, try new ones and play for money. But like, you know, it's just something fun to explore. And, you know, by doing that, making it fun, you just get better. And I would watch those videos too. Like I used to be like such a fitness robot too. I used to watch those videos on the treadmill. Like I'd be like, okay, which one am I going to watch today? Okay, this is 50 minutes. All right, we're going to watch these while we do the treadmill. So it was really helpful too. And you're you're making some videos now or you're doing a course for, for Poker Power. I, I saw you were doing something for them. I wasn't clear on what it was. I'm an instructor for Poker Power. So I actually started with them in, during the pandemic too. I was one of their original teachers in 2020 in the beginning. Um, so I just teach one course a week with them, but I did a special heads up lesson that we do. Uh, Poker Power will have special um, monthly session, like a special event every month. And so this last month it was heads up lesson from Kina. So um, hopefully it was good. It got pretty well received, but yeah, there's something different like that every day. And Poker Power is um, just an organization for women to bring more women to the game. It's an educational site. So like it's an educational program to get more women into poker, basically. It's basic, basic poker, but we did see kind of an uptick in intermediate players recently because, you know, it is good refresher. You don't know what you don't know. I know I said that already, but um, it is, that's the point of it. You know, take it, try it. If you don't like it, you don't have to come back again, you know, but I think that the lessons are really good. We do 12 different lessons on different topics, um, one each week um, at different times and stuff. So you sign up. Um, and it's just for ladies. So um, it's a safe space, I think, for ladies to learn too, because, you know, it is intimidating for women, you know, and, and there's such a discussion about bringing women to the game. And it, it, you know, no matter how friendly we all are at the table to do something new, sit down and be the only woman there playing for money, it's intimidating, you know? So we want to try and make that easier. We want to try and make ladies comfortable. And we want to make sure when they sit down that they're winning and they're having fun. I think I remember seeing, I, I did kind of scroll your, your Twitter feed was like my research for this. Um, I think I remember you saying that you had like a, a chat group that was also like all, all you know, female poker players. Um, oh boy. <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll just stop there. What, what's old boy? <laughs> oh boy. Our, our, this is a joint girl group chats, you know, I don't know. I'm sure just equivalent of whatever, you know, poker player guy chat, you know, we're just, fun ladies talking about fun stuff. <laughs> I'm not supposed to talk about it. <laughs> like Fight Club? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although I do think we should get a publisher for our group chat. I'm just saying it's some pretty interesting content. It sounds like having a kind of like female specific network or or your support group or something is some of that support is putting that's a weird way of putting it. But you know, <laughs> like that kind of thing is uh is is helpful, important for you. I like knowing a lot of the women, you know, like if I see a woman at the table and I, you know, recognize she, you know, might be interested in getting better or she is pretty good or she's just a nice fun lady. I just try and make friends, you know, because this is the arena that I'm in, you know, um, this is where my social abilities lie and, you know, the, the, the pool of people I have to choose from. So like, I just like to, you know, make friends and 
know a lot of people. I don't know, like, especially with women, I think we're, there's so few of us that, you know, having a support system and just knowing more people when you go to poker events is, is it can help, you know, just to recognize people and know who they are. Not just for me, but for mostly for other people, I feel like, you know? I, I do know, although I also know that Carlos uh, has a pretty opposite philosophy. <laughs> yeah, I was, I, I was thinking about that when, because I'm also, I, I'm a um, former math teacher, so um, I'm also a math person, and you generally don't see too many math people also be people people. So when you yeah. say you're a people person and also a math person, that's kind of unique. Um, I don't like strangers. So it's, <laughs> and, I, and I think a lot of that comes from playing poker myself. You know, like we, we basically talk about how like you use the word intimidating. I'm going to use the word annoying how annoying it can be um, as a woman playing with some of these weirdo dudes live. I feel that even as a dude. And so just being in this industry for as long as I have been, uh, I've become more of an introvert because of, um, you know, the weird stuff people do and say um, in poker. But it sounds like you might be more of a people person than the rest of us uh, other math people. And, you know, through the years too, I think I've come to learn that I'm not good at math. I'm, I'm good at problem solving and logic. You know, I think I'm not a calculator. I still like, I will try my best to add up the pot, you know, like while it's going on, but I just, I can't do it all the time. You know, I'm not a calculator. I'm not really um, good with on the spot math. I think it's more like, I always just love like learning the rules and like the theories and just figuring that out and figuring out problems. So I think that's kind of where um, maybe I might differ a little bit is I'm more on the like to figure out how we can solve it instead of, you know, just being straight up calculations. And, and I, but I, I, I think that, you know, that translates one way to the other, but yeah, you're right. I think uh, poker can be a game, you know, that you choose how to play, right? So there are a lot of introverts and I'll recognize that sometimes, you know, I'm not always the most talkative you play so often. I don't always want to talk to people, but if people want to talk to me, that's cool. And you know, if they don't, I'll try and leave them alone too and recognize that, but what a boring game it would be if we all just, sat there and stared at each other. You know, there has to be some sort of um, some character saying stupid stuff so that you can go and tell <laughs> these funny stories later, right? Like we want to know about like the Phil Hellmuths and like the Daniel Negranis throwing their cameras across the, you know what I mean? Like that's what makes it interesting too. It's our world and there's still got to be news and interesting stuff to share, not just boring old poker all the time. <laughs> that I would say that's just a case of... Um different strokes for different folks. And I would say most, most, most people are probably in that camp where they, uh, like that's the entertainment part of poker for them is like the characters. And then you also got like, you know, the weirdo introverts like myself who are just like interested in the math of the game and not, not necessarily just like, you know, the, um, uh, counting just like, just like the, like the ranges and just like basically the mechanics of the game. Like, I kind of get distracted by the characters and I'm and I, and, and the entertainment part for me is like that part of the game that they're distracting me from. But I do understand that for most people, the social part of poker is a big part of it. For sure. And yeah, I think you're, you're definitely right. Like, I mean, different structure for folks, but I, I too, I am interested too. Like, I think in a different way though, like, you know, when somebody does something really interesting, like her hand is really interesting. I was just like, Oh man, Oh, what did you think about that? Or like, you know, just kind of, I don't ever want to talk strategy at the table, but I do get like really impressed <laughs> too by like what's, what happens sometimes or like, I want to know if I'm right. You know, like, I, you know, I'll ask him, what did you have? Jibaganides? You know, just like, I want to know if like what I put together in my head is correct too. So I'm a little bit more forward with it too, I think, but I see your point. Yeah. I mean, poker is, it, it is interesting enough on its own without the characters for sure. But you know, a little extra spice never hurts. Which do you prefer live or online? live. Oh, I'm terrible online. I try. I really do. I really practice a lot and like try my best, but, um, I get, I get distracted, you know, at home and stuff. Like I don't sit in front of the, I can't sit in front of the computer. I did too much of a desk job. You know, it's just, it's just not fun for me to sit like in front of my computer and play. Like I'm usually playing, if I play online, I'm playing like one game on my phone or like on my iPad and walking around and doing other stuff too. But you know, not always, I guess sometimes I'll sit down and focus and really try, but, um, I don't, I, I, I play like really small stakes when I'm practicing, um, online. And then, you know, I'll play sometimes some of the ring events and the bracelet events on the WSOP. That's about it. 
I used to be more in the Carlos camp of like, you know, until 2011, like pre Black Friday, I I hardly ever played live. I played like the WSFP main event and maybe like one other thing a year and almost exclusively playing online and really kind of turned my nose up at live poker. And there's, oh, it's all these degenerates and like, um, and I did start, I mean, I, and I pre pandemic, I was primarily a live player uh, and had been for, I guess, you know, 10 ish, you know, eight years anyway, from 2011 to 2019. And uh, it, it was exactly what you're describing, not even so much the taking part in, in the socializing myself, but I did enjoy witnessing it. Like, I wasn't necessarily going to be the one to like bring the party or bring the weird, but I did <laughs> enjoy just like seeing the, um, I mean, I, I brought weird in my own way, but not the, not the entertaining <laughs> sort of weird. But just like seeing the, um, I mean, but some of it is just seeing people under pressure. I mean, I do think to some degree poker just like attracts kind of weird people. Um, it's it's like a, a place for weird people to go. But uh, I do think that you know, introducing the, the pressure and the money and everything else, I also think it kind of brings out the weird in people. And it's not always like pretty, but it's interesting. Yeah, for sure. I think it just, it, it does, it just keeps me engaged a little bit more too. I mean, I know that the hands can be slower. I'm trying to work on that too. Like when things are just really, really slow live, I totally understand people's perspective on that, but um, you know, just trying to stay engaged, pay attention, all the hands that are being played, you know, I mean, that's kind of what keeps my attention and what keeps me going. I hate when people tank. I hate it so bad. <laughs> I think too, when I think about like what's really sad, like if I think about what are my most like satisfying poker moments and the moments that really feel like, you know, just the, the best, the best hands that I ever played or the things that I'm most proud of. It's not usually like, a, oh, I implemented that like solver approved river bet sizing perfectly. It's more, it's like live poker situations where I felt like I had a really good read on someone, what someone was doing or what someone's psychology was or kind of what they were going to be thinking or feeling in the moment. And then I was able to do something really exploitative based on that. Mm-hmm. I don't know that that's where everyone's, where everyone's enjoyment comes from, but those are like my my peak moments in poker do involve the the, the live psychological side of things. Yeah, I mean, they involve the weird, right? They're not just you clicking buttons. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I totally get what you mean. Like I have one hand that just lives in my head forever and it's so inconsequential. And I actually brought it up with the guy who I played against uh, like a couple months ago. It was it was when I first kind of was the beginning of my 2021, like uh, the beginning of my little boom. Um, and I just felt so powerful. I was like, it's the stupidest hand. Of course he doesn't remember, but I just played it so well and like, set it up and it just, it just made me feel good and made me feel like I belong there. And I knew what I was doing, you know? So, I mean, we all have those that live in our head. Um, and then, you know, bad ones too. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, I'd love to hear the details if you're up for sharing. Well, that hand, oh, this is, like I said, it's stupid. It's like nothing, but like I had started studying more, you know, and, um, I had won, um, a satellite into, or a, a satellite into the 3,500 at the wind, which was like the first one they had coming out of COVID. It was in March. It was my, around my birthday. I went out there and I hadn't planned on playing that satellite, but I was waiting for my friend to come in. And so I played it and I got one. And so it was the biggest tournament I'd ever played up until that date. And, there were just all these pros at my table and like, no one knew who I was, you know? So I was like, Oh, all my three bets are getting respected here. And like, you know what I mean? It was just, it was, it was just cool. And then there was one hand where I don't even know. I was, it was so stupid. Like I'm going to get, I'm going to get reamed for this. I'm pretty sure. But like I opened like middle position, like with queen seven of diamonds and like a pro, like a big pro from the small blind, like three bet me. And I was just like, we meet my friends at this thing, FTG. It's like, fuck this guy. You know, like we do sometimes like, fuck this guy bets. And I was just like, and he had a fresh stack. And, you know, I made a bet size uh, that like put him to his stack, basically. I just felt so powerful. I four bet him off that hand just to put him to it. I was like, well, he either goes all in here or he folds. And like, if he goes all in, I can still fold. You know, I just thought it through so logically in my head, which like, you know, just started to bring all the pieces together of what I had been doing, what I had been studying up until that point and just like everything went right. And then he did fold, you know, he might've just stuffed it in my face, you know, who knows? And then I would have had to fold, but it like really made me feel like, okay, like I know what I'm doing. Like he thought about it for a long time and then fold it, you know? So, um, and, and like I said, stupid and consequential, like who cares, but it made me feel good. And it made, it gave me confidence. And I actually did make day two in that one too, but then I busted, like I didn't make the money or anything. I just busted, but it still was like the first, like the very first thing of my like spectacular year. 
that happened. And then like the next tournament I played was the Riverside one where I got third place. So it was pretty great. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know that this is what was going on in that situation necessarily, but I, I had a conversation with a woman at the, uh, it was like on a solve for my thing a couple of years ago about how you know she felt like men were, were often trying to like three about her more aggressively. And I still, I admitted to her, I was like, I, I think I do that all. Like, I just sort of have the sense of like, if I see a woman who I don't recognize at the table, my first thought is like, oh, she's going to be kind of like vulnerable. And then I'm going to try to like three better and she'll probably fold too much to three bets. So I have no idea if that's accurate. I've just noticed that's like something that I, that I do or an assumption that I make. And literally I had this conversation with this woman and then we played a game on the RFID tables that they had there. And I just like tried to run some crazy bluff. On her. <laughs> I was like, we literally had a conversation about how I bluffed too much against women. And she knows that men bluff too much against her. And I specifically will bluff too much. And I still couldn't prevent myself from doing it. Uh, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I think I, I didn't really think that was the case, you know, in this instance, maybe it was, you know, but, um, like sometimes I tried, I try a lot of times to keep that out of my head that people are playing hard at me because I'm a lady, you know, um, I think maybe early on in my career, I thought that a lot. And so I call like over calling too much, just thinking that, okay, they're just trying to push me around. And sometimes they were, you know, but, um, now I think it happens a lot, lot less, obviously maybe because I've been just around more too, and people just know me, but I, I, I could still point it out. Sometimes there, it is easy to identify when I hate to say this on a podcast, but when a guy just doesn't like to lose to a woman, you know, you just, you, I can feel it. I can feel that that's the case, you know, coming off of people sometimes. And it doesn't happen often anymore, but like it did happen this one hand in, in, in Minnesota when I, the, uh, the MSPT I won. And I just, I just knew I was like, this guy just doesn't want to lose to me, you know? So, um, it, you, when it happens, I can tell that it's happening, but it doesn't happen as often as I think a lot of people think it does. And as, uh, you know, as I used to think it does. So if that makes any sense. Did I say that right? <laughs> yeah. No, and, and I found that like as when I'm coaching people, I do think just like the average person of, of any gender, I think like most people worry too much that, that things are personal, you know, that, that mm-hmm. someone is doing something that, oh, he's attacking my big blind because he thinks I'm weak and he he's, thinks I'm a punk. Like, he probably just likes his cards. Like it's probably not about you. <laughs> uh, and, and then, you know, I, I have found that, I mean, certainly majority of the people that I, I coach are men, but, um, you know, I have found that in particular, I, I felt like women have expressed this concern of like people are, are picking on them and it's it's tricky because i'm like i mean i don't think you're wrong but i do think you're probably exaggerating it and just because i know that everyone exaggerates like that, that people are coming at you too much so i don't want to tell you that you're like wrong about that or that you should never do it i guess i or you should never make that assumption but just like temper it with the understanding that most people take things too personally at the table and like in many cases people are not really thinking about you specifically they're just like playing their cards or playing their own emotions or something. And maybe they have some emotions around you being a woman that are influencing things. But yeah, that's, that's just been my experience as a coach. Oh, for sure. And I mean, early on too, like I've had a lot of instances where guys just, you know, play hard against you. One guy actually told me, I hate playing with women. So I'm going to try and take all of your chips. And that is just like a well-known uh, Chicago Midwest scumbag that we talk about a lot. I won't say his name. And and then it was just like one of my early starts too. I like told that story. It was like my first flag story I told on the other GPI podcast, but um, that was, you know, kind of set me off early. Like that's an, that's an incident that I will never forget. And I recently had a lady come up to me, just a random lady at Bally's. Like it was during the Bally's circuit stop and I had just busted. So I was like, sometimes when I bust, um, just to calm my head, I like to play some video poker and I don't recommend that for everybody, but you know, just pushing buttons can just be kind of soothing sometimes when you're trying to mellow out. And she came up to me and I just really didn't want to, but then she was like, Oh, how do you deal with men telling you how to play at the table? Like, um, and so I had to have a good talk with her because I was like, anybody like that is a sign of somebody, you know, treating you poorly or like, you know, targeting you maybe a little bit is if anybody anywhere, man or woman tells you how to play at the table, they are just not very good. themselves, and You don't need to listen to that. You know, I mean, it's a game. We should all have fun. You know, it's like anything it's like, and you know, playing a tennis match, you're not gonna be like, Oh, excuse me, excuse me. You need to target my left side more. Okay. You're not doing that. <laughs> like nobody does that, you know? So it's like anybody that does that to you during the game, don't even talk to that guy, man. I just laughed when she told me that, but I felt so bad, you know, like she was serious. And I, for her, I was like, man, like, yeah, we aren't all like as conditioned and used to this and just telling people to fuck off without actually saying fuck off. Like, right. Like, 
Um, so, so it does still exist out there. There are still some trolls. There are still some people that know, like, I know the proper way to play every man, you know, like whatever, fine. Cool. And like, let me, just leave me alone. Like, so, um, I do feel for women like, like, you know, that still experience that and keep people in general, maybe that experience that. I mean, I think there's an opportunity there also of like, if someone wants to tell you, um, and that's not to say that it's not like annoying or whatever else, but if, if they're going to do it one way or the other, um, you, know, you can kind of like turn that to your advantage and be like, okay, if you want to tell me everything that you think is the right way to play, I'm not going to like, I'm not going to take your advice, but it'll be valuable for me to hear like what you think one is supposed to do with, with Ace-King and that's information that I can <laughs> use against you later. Yeah. And we, and we all sometimes like stumble, like, right. And you're like, why did you do? And I just like, every time I like start to ask a question or say anything, I stop myself now. Cause I'm just like, I'll just wonder to myself, you know, what happened there, but I can, I've seen it happen a lot more. Like where people just say stuff, you know, like, why, why wouldn't you raise me there? Like, you know, it's because I did it, man. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that, that I, I would imagine though, like that specific phrasing, um, sounds like something that probably happens to women way more than men. Like I, I can't imagine. First of all, I don't listen to people at the table. I got my headphones in. I'm trying to pretend like I'm not even there, so they don't have <laughs> they don't have an opportunity to say anything to me. But I can't imagine someone trying to tell me how I should have played in order to beat them. Like that sounds like some. Maybe like a guy thinking either he's either purposely trying to be an asshole or he think he's thinking he's trying to be helpful to a lady. But I can't imagine like that happens to too many dudes. Yeah, <laughs> I don't see it too often. I mean, you still see it, but like it's more like when sometimes like a bunch of pros with like a one just recreational guy you know, who's just there on his like vacation from like being a neurosurgeon thing, playing poker and the pro has to get all angry. Why'd you do that, man? Like, I don't know, man, leave the guy alone. Let him play this game. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like when I do see it, it's usually some kind of ego defense thing where um, sure. either the person has, has lost a hand and so they're kind of trying to like blame it on someone else or if they've won a hand that they sort of feel bad about it in some way, like they've gotten lucky and then rather than like, and somehow they're they're sort of insecure about that and so they're like, well, you, I would have folded if you bet the turn like that. <laughs> Either way, I feel like there's still like ego defense at the root of that. Just having this conversation about live poker is making my skin crawl. I have no idea how y'all enjoy this. <laughs> yeah, I can, I can, you just actually made me think of one from Colorado when I played in, in Blackhawk in Colorado at the MSPT there. There was a hand where there was a three bet already, and I was in the big line with King. So I just called, you know, because I'm like, okay, I'm just going to call here. And then it went three ways to a better. The flop came like jack high, and I check, and this guy just crams his whole stack in the middle. Right. And the other guy folds. And so I call and I was like, I call. Cool. Yeah. I have Kings. And he had King Jack and Jack came on the river, you know, and I'm like, oh man, uh, I was upset. You know, I was like, oh man, that sucks. And he like literally is scooping the chips in and he whispers loudly to the other guy. I don't know why she didn't raise brief lap. I'm like, what the Oh so, God, so annoying. Like that to me at the table. You or like he wasn't saying it to me. He was just whispering loudly, and I heard him. And I had just lost a hand, so like you know, the bear bites sometimes over there when you poker. So I, I just like I just you know I I, I don't like, if anybody says anything to me within like one minute of losing a hand, it's like your finger bit off probably. <laughs> I feel like the like saying it to someone else loud enough for you to hear it is worse than saying it to you. <laughs> yeah, might be. <laughs> But I'm like, man, you just put your whole stack in the middle, drawing like horribly, horribly, you know, and you just got there. That's cool. Like, whatever. But it was just, you know, the funny coincidence of me just being like, ah! <laughs> I'm just picturing it in my head. Sorry. <laughs> I'm curious, when you talk about like weird stuff that you've seen at the table, is, is there anything that, um, that comes to mind as a particularly good story? Weird stuff. I don't know. Let me think on it. Okay. I can't think of anything like too weird right now. I just have you play so much poker, it just like all runs together. But yeah, um, just like more of the people that you meet, they're just such interesting characters. Like I met a guy who just like, you know, like he sat down at the WSOP and he told me like that it was tournament ever. And he had about 2 million chips in front of him or something too. Like, and, and he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm the fish at the cash game. I just thought that was like hilarious. And we just like talked and called him the fish the whole time. And then another guy just about, you know, like owned a Lego company and he was just having a good time. He was just in every hand. He was just having so much fun, you know, and he just talked about owning Legos and stuff. And I thought that was funny, you know, so I think the weird comes with just like the people and the characters and the dynamics and stuff. 
Yeah, I, I think I've kind of gotten inured to it, but uh, like the first couple of times that I played the WSOP, just like meeting people from other countries, like I'd never been outside of the country, or maybe like once I'd been outside of the country, but I uh, just like, oh, I'm sitting next to a person from the Czech Republic. That's weird and neat. Like that was, yeah, I, and I, I kind of take it for granted now, but when I think about it, like it's pretty crazy that I like have friends or like there are people who bought my book who like live on the other side of the world or another kind. It's not even like that big of a deal. It's just like, oh yeah, just like some people in China have your book. They're like that's. <laughs> yeah it's kind of cool like uh just just knowing that you're out there people know who you are too and you don't you know you might never know who they are um that's cool i think too um, yeah your book your book was pretty good oh thank you to be, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned um the kind of when you're talking about that you, you, you'd sort of uh not quite stumbled into poker but you just sort of I, I think you used the phrase like who knows where i'll end up next um i mean is, is poker something you feel like you're sort of like settled into for for a while or, or do you still feel like you kind of have just one foot in the uh in the door um yeah i, I think uh that's it, a hard question to answer you know i don't want to say that i'm 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 not done i just don't really want to i i want to do more you know like mm. i want to figure out something more and i'm kind of taking a lazy year here um just to do and figure things out uh you know like i was corporate kind of for a while i kind of like that i might go back in the right environment just trying to like shop around different companies out here i'm i'm re- recently new to vegas too um so um, you know i i think i think it just comes with like i get to a point where like stuff that i'm doing like i'm really into it and then it's not enough anymore you know so then i want to switch gears and learn something else or do something else and i just haven't really been able to figure out what that next step is yet well, given giving myself some time to you know panic and figure stuff out right away. But um, but yeah, like I said, like I just get really invested when I want to do really well at something I do. What do you miss about corporate kind of? Um like routine is really nice sometimes, you know, when you get into knowing what you have to get done, like waking up, going to work, getting ready, you know, fitting in workouts, like going for season, that kind of stuff that's mundane and that you just, you know, I don't do that as much anymore on a routine. I mean, I still do it. Right. But it's like more like just keeping yourself busy and fitting everything within your schedule. I kind of liked that. And I also just liked, you know, showing up the office and like talking to people or like, um, you know, figuring out a really big project too, like a new project team and like discovering like, okay, you know, how do we work best with each other? What are our strengths? What are our weaknesses? Um, and then just solving a problem, you know, like that always just feels really good, like accomplishing something, you know, and with poker, like it feels really good to win, but like that doesn't happen a lot, you know? So I, I think that the sense of accomplishment is something that I like really miss a lot with like just being in a corporate world and just on a lot of different things at once and the relationship building. Not that I'm not doing that now. I mean, I think a lot of the stuff that I did in my corporate world translates to into the poker world, like problem solving, you know, figuring stuff out, um, meeting new people, all that stuff is fun. Um, but yes, I just think maybe there might be more, who knows? I think that, I mean, obviously different people have, have different levels of need for this, but the, um, which jumped to mind, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it's kind of like collaborating with other people or having like positive some relationships with other people, as opposed to poker, at least in the strictest sense of like when you're sitting at a poker table with somebody like your wins are someone else's losses. You know, it, it is a very like, you know, the dog eat dog sort of thing. And I mean, you can find ways, obviously you have like poker friends and you're cooperative with them away from the table and you're kind of working together to like better each other and that kind of thing. Or I mean, certainly like what I get out of doing this podcast with Carlos or, you know, I guess right now with you, and we're collaborating. Um, so I think like for people who are, um, if, if you're going to be dedicating so much of your time to doing this, like zero sum, I win, someone else has to lose kind of activity. I think finding ways of having collaborative relationships with other human beings, uh, you know, outside of that is, is probably pretty important for most people's psychology. Oh yeah, definitely. And I think that's kind of why I like still being a part of poker power. You know, I don't teach as much as I used to anymore, but man, after I do a lesson, I just feel such a great sense of accomplishment and like, it just, oh, it went well. And I helped them on their questions. And, you know, I knew what I was talking about the whole time. Um, and they appreciated that, you know? So I, I really like that. I'm still engaged with them. I, and, 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 you know, I, I've done a couple of live events too with them, which are really fun and engaging and stuff. Um, and, and everybody's just really excited and really happy, you know, to be there and, and to learn. 
Um, I don't want to put you on the spot too much. So this you're welcome to to decline this if you'd like. But um, we sometimes will you know talk strategy if we have like a, a strategy question from a listener. And I, I do have a, a tournament hand here if you're interested in having a, a strategy discussion. But if there's other stuff you wanted to talk about, that is uh, fine as well. Sure, we can we can have now. Okay. Did I play it or just like a rant? No, 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 no. I, I wouldn't. Uh, <laughs> yeah, this was someone who had a criticism of the hand that you played. <laughs> <laughs> now this is just like a question that a that a listener sent in. Um, okay. So this is from a, uh, a single day tournament at the uh, Hard Rock in Tampa. It's a $1,000 tournament. They are uh, with 25 people remaining out of 153 who started and 16 are going to make the money. So basically like one third of the remaining field is, is going to make the money, which means we have some some uh, you know, ICM consideration here. You said 25 left, 16 pay? Correct. So two thirds of the remaining field. Yeah, what did I say? I thought I heard you say one third. Oh, yeah. One third needs to be eliminated. Yeah, we're waiting for one third to be eliminated. Ah, gotcha. So the hijack opens for a min raise. Uh, The cutoff calls. Both of these players are covering the hero. uh, And our hero has jack seven suited in the big blind uh, with 34 big blinds. Um, so again, the hero is the effective stack. Both of these people are covering him. Um, hijack opens for min raise, cutoff calls. Uh, are we folding right away or is this worth defending? I mean, I think it's a clear defend if there's not any ICM pressure. You know, is the ICM enough to like make us want to fold Jack Seven suited here? No, one blind, no, it went off. Carlos? I fold. Really? Yeah, the, the main thing is how are we going to win this post-flop? Like, if we're just trying to call and hit, um, I think that's going to be a little bit dicey. Um, but when you, and by hit, I mean, like, too bad, better. Um, but just, like, making the draw is going to be difficult, depending on how these people, what we were talking about, hijacking cutoff. We say they cover about, like, are they 100 big blinds deep, or are they only, like, slightly more than us? Because they should be under a little bit of icing pressure also if they're shorter. And that's going to make their ranges tighter. We have the shortest stack, right? Is that that's what you said? Of, of these three, we have. I don't think they have like the shortest stack in the yeah. tournament. But yeah, of, right, of these right. three players, okay. we, have, yeah. we, we have them covered, yeah. We, we do not have them covered. We, we're the oh. shorter stack. Oh, we, we, right. Okay, yeah, sorry. I said it. I, yeah, no. I basically. It backwards in my head. <laughs> <laughs> right. So basically what I'm thinking here is that as you get this close to the money, all the ranges should tighten up. And so if this hijack player isn't like a hundred big blinds deep or something, he's going to be opening a tighter range than he would normally open if he was only like 40 big blinds deep. So even though he has us cover and we're the effective stat, his 40 big blind opening range here is going to be different from his hundred big blind opening range. And this cutoff guy who just calls that guy, his range is going to be pretty tight also because the calling ranges should like, the calling ranges face the most pressure um, from ICF. So I'm just expecting all the ranges are kind of like scrunching up and getting tighter and tighter. And now we're the third person in the pot with this tight range with a hand that um, mostly makes draws that we would need to bluff with. And I don't want to be trying to bluff people off of tight ranges this close to the money. So that's what that's my concern here. That is a good point. I just think that with one, with a suited hand, that's so nice like that. I mean, maybe Jack seven is a little bit of a stretch, but still like, I, I think I'm still peeling suited hands there with 34 blinds. Um, you know, when we're, we're the shortest stack too. Um, Cause you know, they could just be opening and they might not have tightened their range. Maybe they did, you know, but they are, if they're bigger stack for blinds that close to the money, 34 is a lot. Um, so you can peel one off and, you know, you'll whiff a lot of times and you just fold but I think, you know, the times that you do make your hand, I think it's worth it there just to peel one blind to win, what, how many? Two, four, six, eight? Yeah. And uh, I will say, I, I just found this is kind of buried in, in the email, but there's a little bit of a read here that that uh, I don't know how much this is going to shift things. Um, the, our correspondent says, both players are white males, 35 to 45, and know how to play. They are both sticky and active with VPIPs of greater than 50% in the 60 minutes uh, since I've been moved to the table. Mm. Yeah, I mean, we don't want to go broke. I think you're right, Carlos. You don't want to go broke. I think it's just, you know, for me, my strategy, a lot of the times I don't, I, I do a lot of like post-flop, you know, like I let, I think I play a lot better post-flop than pre-flop. Um, and just, you know, it's an easy hand to get away from. You just whiff or you make your draw and, you know, reevaluate. Yeah, I think, I think with that read where we, it sounds like these players may not be super ICM aware. 
And so if that's the case, their ranges are probably going to be wider than they should be here. And I, I think that makes it a little bit better to call here. Yeah, this is one of those things where, like, I'm not sure how to parse the read because the person is like, oh, these guys know how to play. They've both played more than half the hands they've been dealt. I'm like, well, I don't, I don't know if I can square those two, those two claims. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I think, like, the less elite these players are, I mean, one, just as you, they may not be, like, tightening their ranges in the way that you're predicting. And then, two, you know, your, your ability to, like, realize equity or just like figure out what to do against them after the flop, right? Like the less, the less elite they are as players, the more you're going to be able to handle some of these judgment calls of like, can I peel a bet with middle pair? You know, can I, can I send me bluff with, with my draw? Like all those decisions will be easier if these are like less good players. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. So that's interesting. I, I would have been firmly on, on call, but I, uh, I trust that Carlos knows more about ICM things than I do. So he's, uh, yeah, I like that perspective too. I, I would not have thought of it that way. And I think it is super player dependent. You're right. It's also very close. Like I would probably, I would definitely call Jack nine and, um, probably call Jack eight. So we're right. We're right in, in the same ballpark there. Yeah, I, I would feel a lot better about folding. I mean, I'm still not sure I would fold Jack Six, but it's a lot easier for me to wrap my head around folding Jack Six. I think having the having the straighter is. Uh, I'm, I'm twitching a little bit at the idea of folding a, a sitting. <laughs> <in there. Yeah. laughs> so, is there more? There is more. Yeah, so okay. this is not a free <laughs> the, uh, That's it. He folds. You're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> the, here I did pop. And uh, the flop is King of Diamonds, Queen of Diamonds, Nine of Hearts. Our hero again has Jack Seven of Diamonds. So did pick up the. Uh, oh, I thought you said clubs. No, okay. Diamond. No, sorry. Yeah, so we, we've got the the gutter and and the flush draw. This is either what we were hoping for or what Carlos was fearing we were going to flop. Is there any reason to to dunk here? Or are we checking the free flop razor? I'm just always checking, probably like kind of hoping for a free turn card. Like that's a flop that maybe that they don't even bet that just kind of checks around. At this point in the game. Same. Okay, cool. I was, I was going to say that sounds right to me, but I want to give Carlos a chance to shake my confidence. Okay. <laughs> so uh, the hero does check. Now the hijack bets 7K into what is now a pot of 22.5K. Sorry, we, we've gone from chips to blinds, but uh, basically the, this person is C betting one third of the pot. Uh, the cutoff is calling. And now the action is back on the hero who has a stack of 100K. So we've got a bet of 7K into 22.5, cutoff calls. And uh, now hero can well, presumably call or raise. Honestly, I'm not uh, like later in tournaments now, I don't like like check raising draws a lot, like when we're getting kind of sticky. And I know a lot of people will say, well, you're just wasting chips there, you know, but I think there are just so many turn cards that are good here. And now we're getting odds to just call. Um, like we're never making, you're, we're never getting anything better to fold when we jam up. Like, I mean, even like the Ace of Diamonds, they're like, these guys are sticky, you know, and they have us covered by piles. I mean, and, and we have too much, I think at this point in the game. So I'm, I'm probably just calling and seeing a turn. Yeah, I think so. Also, um, we also struggle to represent anything good by raising here because we never have kings or queens. Um, we can have Jack 10, but I want to say um, both of those players have those hands as well. Um, maybe uh, at least the suited ones. Um, also nines. We may not <clears throat> we may not just flat nines pre. So um I don't think we can rep very many um, strong hands at this point. Ace King, we don't have maybe not even King Queen. So um, yeah, I don't think we have enough um, value hands to uh, want to raise here. Wow, I would. I, I thought this was a pretty clear. I was just like, I just want to check raise all in. I mean, it's it's kind of a lot, but like, what can they really do about that? Um, you know, wake up with Jack Ten. I have a blocker. I have outs, even if they do have. Jack 10. Um, I mean, we, I don't know. We can have King nine, Queen nine. Like, I think we had to get to have some kind of, of bluffing range here. And like, if it's not I Jack don't know, it, of diamonds, what is it? It just feels like it screams diamonds. If you were to rip there, like, I mean, we could have eight uh, diamonds and that would be great, you know, but like they know, you know, you're not, they have all the Kings, all the Queens in their ranges. They have pocket nines in their range, you know, like me, so, um, I just think it, at that point in the tournament, like maybe yeah, if we're like fresh or whatever, and I'm short and like, we're kind of middle of the range there. Like I, I be, again, player dependent too, 
But the guy said that these guys are sticky too. So like, are you getting ace king to fold there? I don't think so. You know, like getting, maybe you get ace queen to fold there, but. That's what I, I was going to say. Like, that's because you don't need that many folds. I mean, I know there's ice and everything, but like you have a lot of equities you could call by ace king. And I mean, are they really here? Like, even if people are like, oh, you probably just have a draw. I still feel like you don't really get here by like ace queen for, I mean, this is a big show. We're jamming a hundred yeah. into like 50. The fact that the guy bet it all though, too. And again, if they're splashy players, that might make a difference, whatever. But like, if it's solid player and I have no read on them, you know, why are they betting? You know, you don't, I wouldn't even bet here with like King. I might just check back King Jack there or something. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like or King 10, a lot of times and just see a card really betting there that they want to like, you know, and, and it's, it's small bet too, right? Seven, seven K. Yeah. Like, like one third pot. Yeah. So it's a small bet. So they want people to float along with them, like with these hands, I feel like. So yeah, I, I think this is a huge consider just for like thinking about raising people in general. Like I think too often people worry about, like, the, you know, if, if they're online or they think about stats, they think a lot about like how often does this person fold to raises or something. But I think really the, the critical thing that, you, that you're getting at is like how often they're betting is really the important point because there's only so many hands that have good equity against Jack Seven of Diamonds. So if they're betting often, it means they're betting a lot of hands that really are not going to stand up to this raise. And if they're not betting often, then they're just going to have good hands. Yeah, you know, pretty frequently. So I think like really the more important thing when you're thinking about check raising somebody is trying to get a sense of like how often they're see betting. And the main thing that like an aggressive check raise range exploits is people who are check raising or who, people who are see betting too often. It's not right. so much like how they respond to the raise. It's just like you're catching them with their their hand in the cookie jar essentially. And once you've caught them, there's not really a lot they can do about it. Okay, that's true. Yeah, good point. Okay, so our hero actually chooses to check raise to 25K, which I do not like. I think you put yourself in some really awkward spots of, you know, like, you're going to get peeled a lot. You're going to get a lot of blank turns, and those blank turns are going to be pretty tricky to play. So I, I would I would be looking at my options as either a check call or, or check shove. Um, I don't know. Do either of you, uh, I don't think he really said much about um, what his... Uh, what his thought process was. He just says, I'm trying to fold out any queens, nines, or weak kings. Well, you you put yourself, I feel like this whole hand started, Carlos made a good point, is like, you don't want to put yourself in a bad spot. And that we did from the beginning <laughs> with all the, with the tags seven to ten. You know, but like when you just bet off part of your stack, you're in a bad spot now. Like, you know what I mean? We don't have those strong hands that we were talking about with the kings, the queens, like, which, you know, maybe that makes sense if you actually had a set you know, to checkers, or if you've had like the Jack 10, which we could have the Jack 10, but yeah, I think you just, you just need too much equity there. Like the jam for sure. If you're going to go with it, just go with it. Because if you make, if you just bet the 25, which is like a third of your stack, right. You have to go with it. If it was all in and um, that feels worse, right. Calling off feels a lot worse than putting the chips in on your own. Yeah. And so here's what ends up happening. Um, sorry. I'm just going to accelerate a little bit of Carlos because kind of going to have to go in a minute. Um, okay, yeah. So, uh, so the hero does check raise to 25k, the hijack folds, and now the cutoff tanks and then calls, uh, getting four to one. So, there's now uh, 80k in the pot, uh, 75k or so in the hero stack. So, basically, we're gonna have a stack to pot ratio of one going into the turn, and uh, the turn is the six of spades, which means the board is now king of diamonds, queen of diamonds, nine of hearts, six of spades. Our hero has jack seven of diamonds and one pot size bet remaining. Um, I, like I said, this is really the spot I didn't want to end up in. Uh, I guess at this point I would just jam, but I kind of just don't want to be in this spot. Uh, yeah, I don't like it at all. I guess you jam, I guess. What else do you check? And only checks been asking. <laughs> You're not winning. I mean, you still have some fold equity there, I guess. So go with it, I guess. I don't know. What do you think, Carlos? I kind of feel the same way. I'm kind of like, ah, uh, uh, it's no good options at this point. Uh, are you in your head too? Like, I feel I know that feeling, right? Where you're like, what did I do? Oh no! Like in your head, you're like, look cool, look cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, our hero does does in fact check and gets a check behind, um, and now the river brings the four of clubs. So I think the interesting question is like, should we interpret that check behind as, you know, that the, the other person like didn't have a good enough hand to to play for for stacks? Like, is it worth trying to, to bluff the river now that we've missed? Uh, it's 50-50, right? He either just wants you to put it in and he wants to, he's going to call or just trying to see it cheap. I don't know. Or, I don't or know. he doesn't want you to put it in and he's going to call. <laughs> 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 that happens too. <laughs> 
That's true. Yeah. He just, he wants to see it cheap, right? Like we probably, it sounds like a lot of like, maybe he missed a draw too. I mean, it's bad. Like when we also have the diamonds, but I don't know what else to call. He probably just has like King 10 or something. So, yeah, again, so, I, I'm not sure. I don't know. <laughs> I think that yeah, and and our, our correspondent now acknowledges that this was was probably him sort of um, waffling. Uh, but he he decided just bet 20k into a pot of 80k in order to get folds from some weaker hands like uh, Ace Nine or like an Ace I flush draw or maybe even a Queen, which sounds a little ambitious to me. But um, I, I guess I can kind of get behind a small bet being being better than a check of just like you don't need that. Like there are some better hands out there. Unfortunately, you do block them though. Is the problem is like. Like you're blocking ace jack of diamonds, you're blocking ace seven of diamonds. Um, so I don't know how many better hands you can really get to to fold. Uh, I think what you said on on the turn kind of like when you have that that's an awkward feeling, it's a sign that you've done something well that earlier street. And I mean that doesn't help you in the current hand because that street is over and done with. But I think like from a learning perspective, when you find yourself in these spots where you're like, oh, it doesn't feel like I have any good options, that's something to reflect on, like what could you have done to not end up in a spot where you didn't have good options in the first place? Yeah. And I think actually now I think about it a little more like the, the I think I am a thousand percent just because like your check raise there too, looks like that's what you set that up for. So um, if you did have something like Jack 10, you know what I mean? You're looking to try and get your whole stack in there. And you know, when you do it on the turn, okay, that sucks if you get called, but you're not dead, you know, like right. you're, you're still in it. And and I think it works on the turn more often than it probably doesn't if the guy is just getting pods and he's calling and the, the turn is like complete air. I think you're just better off going with it then. Yeah. Yeah. The way that I often put this is like, you're essentially, if, if you wait until you miss your draw to bluff, it, it doesn't matter if you have a draw anymore. You're just like wasting <laughs> the fact that you had a draw. So in, in fact, it's worse. Yeah, missed draws are often you're, you're blocking the folding range. So it's like if, if if the whole reason you're playing and aggressively is because you have a draw, that's a good reason to be aggressive on the flop. It's a good reason to be aggressive on the turn. It's often, like you said, Carlos, a downright bad reason to be aggressive on the river. Yeah. And I don't mean to laugh. You know, I, I think that we all have been in these kind of situations. So whoever sent that hand in, you know what I mean? Like, I think exploring it is was really fun right yeah, no i, I think like, i think our laughter is like our our recalling being in these spots ourselves right like, <laughs> feeling it like feeling it myself like that yeah. you're just like oh no but keep it together look like you know what you're doing you know like i've <laughs> i've been there millions i've early on i actually remember a hand like this exactly from the horseshoe um it was like one of my bit first bigger tournaments and i had just like an like ace of diamonds on a like all diamond board and like my like my dumb ass thought it was a good idea to like check raise into like four people, you know, with this just stupid ass diamond. And it was like half my stack and the guy just has a set and he puts me all in. And I'm like, well, now we have to go with it, you know, but like, you're not drawing dead. You feel dumb when you don't hit it, but like, you know, it's, it's, just, it's just, it is what it is. <laughs> Uh, just just for max tilt, here's what ends up happening. Hero bets uh, 20k, which is about 25% of the pot. The villain says you are good, calls, and just thinks that. King Tan, he is King Tan? He is King Tan, but he says you're good <laughs> before winning the pot. <laughs> oh, man, I love the fact that I was right. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a good hand. It's a good hand for sure. Yeah, thank you, uh, kind of, for, for indulging us there. Um, is there anything you want to leave people with? Uh, anything you want to plug? Any, like, books or you know, podcasts, TV shows? Anything you want to recommend? Doesn't have to be poker-related, just something that you want to, like, well, encourage people to check out. Definitely. If you um, are a lady, you know, you're just interested in learning a little bit more, maybe um, just check out Poker Power. We're a good, uh, good community. We have a Facebook group where we post, um, you know, just encouraging things. And um, if you see me out in the wild, like, please come out and say hi, I like meeting new people. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, I think that's about it. Just, uh, I don't really have anything else to plug, but yeah, Poker Power, go Poker Power. <laughs> I got one last question. Um, how can we support Poker Power? Amen. Yes. yes, we yeah, men and the podcast community. You know, if you have just a woman in your life that's interested in learning poker, I know it can be a little bit frustrating to like teach a significant other something else. Poker Power is a great um, community, you know, full of women teaching women. So, um, you know, if you feel like, oh, well, your girlfriend, or your daughter, or your wife, or your friend wants to learn more, but you don't want to teach them 
you know, direct them to Poker Power because that's what we're here for. We want to, we want to teach them. Um, and we want to talk about poker with other ladies. Ladies sometimes feel more comfortable asking other ladies questions, you know? Um, and like I said, and if you're an intermediate player, then you don't know, you don't know, check us out. Um, but yeah, I think that's just spreading the word. Whenever I see a girl watching a guy play from the sidelines, I always mention it, you know, because at least she knows what's going on then. Maybe she doesn't play herself, you know, but like learning the rules is easy. And then she knows what you're talking about a little bit more too. And you know what? I'm going to say this from my experience as a math tutor, what you just said there is so valuable about people tend to learn better from people who aren't like close relatives or that someone in a relationship with because the emotion gets to like when I, whenever I saw parents try to help their kids with homework, it was a disaster almost every time. It's like they were just so like, why can't you get this? And it was like, it was so, it was almost like they were almost too close. And like, I would kind of come in as a, a you know, <laughs> an unattached, uh, you know, third party. And I could like, you know, there was just so much less stress involved. And I imagine when some women try to learn poker um, um, from their significant others, they probably feel some of that undue pressure. So something like um, Poker Power will probably be really good for that. Oh, definitely. Yeah. So spread the word if you can. Um, you know, we are accepting new members. <laughs> All right. Well, it was, it was great uh, to meet you and great talking to you. Hopefully we get a chance to do it in person sometime. Yeah. Super great to meet you guys. Thank you so much for having me. Right, take care. Yeah. Okay. Bye. Bye.